This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. Well, good morning. The Big O, Orion Samuelson with you here for our weekly get-together on the Saturday morning show. Thanks for being along with us. And a lot to talk about today, including an interview with the gentleman I've interviewed many times. But he spent three days in the Illinois this week uh, speaking at a state planning seminars for farmers and ranchers because so many of that community is without an estate plan and when mom and dad are gone the kids will very often get into a fight over the assets that are left behind who gets them and how they get to be used so be with us uh, for the uh, visit with Ron Hansen. Also, State of Illinois has a new Director of Agriculture. The governor announced yesterday that Jerry Costello will be the Director of Agriculture. And uh, Rich Gebert, President of the Illinois Farm Bureau, had reactions saying, Today's announcement by Governor Pritzker naming Jerry Costello as the next Director of Agriculture shows the governor's commitment to the largest industry in the state. We realize the governor had a tough decision to make in naming a new Director of Agriculture from the qualified candidates that had applied. Uh, Rich Gebert said, Jerry Costello has a proven record in supporting agriculture. In his time serving in the General Assembly, he not only supported agriculture by his votes on key legislation important to agriculture, but he also championed many supportive efforts, items like enhancing tax incentives for biofuels, grant programs for agricultural education teachers, increasing access to highways for agricultural commodities, and advocating for key terms in the state budget for agriculture, to mention just a few. And Mr. Gebert uh, finished his comment by saying, we look forward to working with Director Costello in his new role as Director of the Illinois Department of Agriculture. So we look forward to visiting with him to talk basically about the number one industry in the state, agriculture. So welcome aboard to Jerry Costello. Well, getting back to uh, what we're talking about this morning, Max Armstrong will be checking in from San Antonio, where the Commodity Classic was winding down. And uh, he'll be talking markets uh, later on in the program. Also want to wish a happy birthday to all of you with uh, leap year birthdays on February 29th, that means uh, that you uh, gain a year uh, just every four years. So you're a lot younger than the rest of us. So happy birthday to all of you leap year friends here on WGN Radio. Well, coming up, we'll share with you the thoughts on estate planning 
from Ron Hansen, Professor Emeritus at the University of Nebraska, when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. It has been a few years since we have shared this topic with Dr. Ron Hansen, Professor Emeritus, University of Nebraska at Lincoln, who I think spent a lot of your career, Ron, trying to convince farm people they need an estate plan. So uh, in the visits uh, that we've had over the decades, let me start with my two opening questions for you. Number one, at what age should people start planning the estate? And number two, who should be in on the plant uh, on the planning? Only the children of the couple involved or in-laws? So let's go with those first two questions. Okay, well, thank you, Orion, for the opportunity and privilege to visit with you on WGN Radio. And your first question is right on target. Uh, the key point is for farm families, particularly parents, uh, but it could even be the grandparents who still own the home farm yet have failed to do any estate or succession planning. Um, the key point for families to remember, it's never too early to begin this process. Most families wait till it's too late. Um, they wait till there's an unexpected change to the ownership or management or operation of their farm or ag business, or unfortunately, tragically, something happens within the family. And during those times of emotional stress are not the best times to sit down and make good management, objective uh, decisions for their farm, their family, their operation, and most importantly, that legacy to make sure that that family farm stays in the family for this generation as well as future generations. And most families just fail to realize that what if usually happens when you very least expect it. And I'm just trying to convince families um, to plan ahead and get things discussed to make sure everyone understands. And that leads right into your second question, which is perfect. When parents, mom and dad, sit down with their children, should the entire family, their adult children as well as those spouses, those in-laws be there? And for that, I have two answers. One is, if the entire family can be there, particularly um, those in-laws, and things can be discussed openly and objectively, the real issues can be brought to the table, discussed, um, finding answers, finding solutions, then all, by all means, everyone should be there, um, including um, the other family members, those in-laws. If having the in-laws there could jeopardize that discussion, things won't get discussed, um, uh, issues won't be brought up, things won't get mentioned, or uh, the meeting's going to end up in a disagreement, then I always tell parents have two meetings. One, mom and dad, adult children only, and then later, a short time later, followed up at the second meeting with the in-laws there, to let them know this is what we've been discussing, what we're planning. We want you to be informed, and if you have any concerns, we would certainly listen to those. But bottom line, at some point in time, you've got to sit down 
as an entire family and have that open communications and avoid any misunderstandings because misunderstandings cause conflict and conflict leads to dispute. And when you get disputes in a family, uh, family trouble and stress is just around the corner. But it is never too early, and I know in your sessions with country companies and uh, the Illinois Farm Bureau this week, that was probably number one on your list. But then I have another one. Is it important that the children understand what their parents would like to see happen to the farm when they're no longer part of it? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I couldn't agree more with that comment. Um, you know, I always, you know, I always told my students at the University of Nebraska when I was teaching before I retired, um, you know, that's not your farm. That's mom and dad's farm. That's not your estate. It's your parents' estate. And those parents have every right um, to do with their farm, their estate as they choose. And, you know, one of the things that you have to be really careful of today, particularly these farms, um, you know, especially in Illinois, for example, where I'm at this, um, have been this past week. Um, you know, these farms are extremely um, valuable in terms of what they are now worth today in the market. And so, you know, that's a real challenge for parents. How do we treat all of our children um, equally? Um, I mean, you know, not equally in terms of everything's divided um, in equal shares, but how do we treat those children fairly and equitably? Because some kids have worked hard, some kids have contributed, um, some kids love the farm as much as mom and dad do. Um, there are some kids in the family that care more about the farm and each other and would never cause a problem. And unfortunately, there are some kids, um, some adult children who may just see the farm, just see the land, just see the money. And families have to sit down and wrestle with that and work through that and make sure that there's a plan in place so there's no misunderstandings. And when and if something happens today, uh, everyone already knows what happens tomorrow, how things will work out, who takes over, how do they take over. If I'm the farming child that has to buy out maybe some of the other siblings to help settle that farm estate, who determines the price, the terms? When and how will that be accomplished? And that's the real challenge um, that I always uh, share with farm audiences. Has any of this even been discussed and worked out in a plan in place? I've heard so many stories of families that didn't have the estate plan and that had children who were farmers and wanted to continue farmers, but uh, other children who did not have any interest in the farm except the value and the money. And I can't tell you how many family breakups I've heard over this decision on who gets what, as you say, fairly. Yeah, and, you know, all it takes is one uh, one of those children in that family, if mom and dad have not done anything and have not put an estate plan in place and had it discussed with all the children to where everyone understood their wishes, I, I always tell parents, if you don't tell your children the plans for your farm, for your state, uh, for your inheritance, uh, who will? Some attorney who's never been on the farm, some attorney who's never met the family, um, you got to take the opportunity now, and it's 
mom and dad's obligation. It's their duty as parents. And I always challenge parents, you know, you've worked your whole life to keep your farm, build your farm, um, to build and prosper, raise your family. Um, now what are you going to do with it? Um, if you just sit back and do nothing and expect the children just to work it out themselves, you're absolutely correct. It, it may or may not happen. And all it takes is one of those children or even the in-laws get into it. Um, you know, you know what this farm is worth, what we could sell this for. I hear that all the time in family sessions when I'm counseling a farm family. And if somebody forces a sale, um, they just want their land or their money. You see farms that get divided, split up, parceled off, and sometimes even sold. And that family legacy, that family heritage now ends. And once you lose a farm, um, you very seldom ever get it back. And that's the real sadness and tragedy of these situations when families fail to plan you mentioned the word attorney. Is it important to have an attorney in on conversations early? I always tell um, parents, I, I always say you need to, to follow um, a four-step process. Number one, um, farm families, particularly parents, have to have a vision, a vision for their farm. What is it they want to accomplish with their estate? And then you've got to sit down and write your ideas down on a piece of paper. I don't care if it's just a, a simple draft, whatever. But once you have words and feelings into writing, then you can always update it, revise it, amend it. And once you have that vision focused and you've got pretty much a plan, an idea drafted as what you want to do or how you want to do it, then you've got to put together a management team to work with your farm family to accomplish all of this. And you'll need an accountant at some point in time with the tax issues involved. You will definitely need an attorney um, to draw up any legal documents necessary, whether it's a trust or a living trust, um, limited liability company, whatever um, they have decided. You'll definitely want to see the farm lender involved because I want to see a financial plan for the next young generation to step in, take over, um, and be financially successful. And then the fourth person, most importantly, I want to see a wealth management specialist, an estate planner, to make sure mom and dad have a safe and secure retirement. Mom and dad never have a financial worry, never the fear of being a financial burden to their children, no matter how many years they may live. And you need all four of those people, um, all four of those voices. They have the training, the expertise to help a family accomplish that goal of keeping their farm in the family. And most importantly, uh, my mission, keeping family members on their farm for future generations. And uh, the business of meeting with the family and the attorney, you got to get it in writing, I would guess, so that you don't have any fumbling around after it changes. Oh, absolutely. You've, got, you've definitely got to work with the attorneys, uh, get things in writing, make sure everything is in place. And then I always tell families that when you have a trust or a limited liability company, whatever it is you've done, Every three, four years, go back, review it, go through it, make sure it's what you want, 
because situations change, circumstances change, um, relationships within the family change. So you always have to be updating, revising, tweaking it a little bit to make sure it's the plan that we want to accomplish. Well, we're out of time, but are you still available to consult with families uh, going through this? And if so, how would they get in touch with you? Yes, I am. Um, Now that I've retired, I want to travel as much as possible, meetings, programs, conferences, um, and reach out to as many farm families. And then uh, they can visit my website. Um, All they have to do is Google Passing on the Farm, and uh, my website will appear. There's seven four-minute videos um, that focus in on certain aspects of succession planning, um, why families fail to plan, why is it hard for families to communicate, what's the importance, and um, there's resource materials as well. So I hope to continue my traveling, and I hope people will take advantage of my website. And on my website, they can contact me directly with questions, um, situations, words of advice um, that may be needed, and I'll reach out and help as many families as I possibly can. So, Ron Hansen, and we Google, what do we look for when we Google? Passing on the farm, just those four words. Okay. Passing on the farm. Yep, those four words, and my website will um, will appear. Will pop up. Can't tell you how great it is to uh, renew our longtime acquaintance and do it on WGN Radio and get the knowledge that is as vital, if not more vital today, than it was when we started these visits a couple of decades ago. Dr. Ron Hansen, Professor Emeritus, University of Nebraska at Lincoln, who has so many answers that you lead if you're forming an estate plan. More to come here on the Saturday Morning Show. Just a word of appreciation to country companies and the Illinois Farm Bureau for putting together the series of meetings on agricultural estate planning. Thank you very much for putting it together. And now to those of you who attended or who listened to our visit with Ron Hansen this morning, time to act. Get involved. Don't leave it to the kids to fight over when you're gone. Seen too many family breakups over the years and over the decades because they weren't prepared for the change that you never know when it will come either because it can happen when you least expect it. Well, here on the Saturday morning show, time for Samuelson Says. I'm Orion, and today discussing and asking how accurate our studies involving food. I have often talked over the years about the number of studies and reports that we do that I really question whether or not they have value. I have a long history of being skeptical and questioning the importance and accuracy of studies involving the food we consume and the impact on our health. So let me share with you some of the food stories, not necessarily all saying the same thing, that have shown up on my computer the past week. First, this one, and I'm quoting, Women who drink two cups of milk a day may be at an 80% increased risk of breast cancer. 
That's according to a study conducted at Loma Linda University in California. A third of a cup was associated with a 30% increased risk, while a full cup a day caused a 50% increased risk. And those who drink two to three glasses a day, well, the risk jumps to 80% according to the study. And then comes this line. While the study was an observational one and cannot prove a cause, scientists believe a hormone in cow's milk may be to blame. There's that word may. And so many studies will use that word rather than say this is really true. Then there is this report on another study in February. Quote, dairy may cut the risk of suffering a stroke by up to 10%. A major study by Oxford University found eating cheese and yogurt and drinking milk may reduce the likelihood of suffering a stroke in later life. 400,000 people were involved in that study. And finally, this headline. Leading scientists agree. Current limits on saturated fats no longer justified. Following a two-day meeting in Washington, D.C., leading scientists, mainly from the U.S., released a statement detailing their latest findings on the latest research regarding the intake of saturated fats and heart disease. After reviewing the evidence, the expert group agreed that the most rigorous and current science fails to support a continuation of the government's policy limiting consumption of saturated fats. A letter sent to the Secretary of Agriculture and the Health and Human Services Secretary suggested that they give, quote, serious and immediate consideration to lifting the limits placed on saturated fat intake for the upcoming 2020 Dietary Guidelines for Americans. So now can you understand why I have all of these questions about studies and reports? And I guess that's why I will stick to my overused line concerning food safety. If you eat, you die. And if you don't eat, you die. My thoughts on Samuelson Says. More to come here on the Saturday Morning Show. As we said, Max Armstrong spent uh, a few days this week at the Commodity Classic in San Antonio, Texas. Had the opportunity to visit with a lot of people in the agricultural industry and find out what they're thinking as far as policy and trade issues are concerned. And uh, we're going to check in with Max to get his report on market activity as he talks to our market analyst coming up on the Saturday morning show. Matt Bennett, agmarket.net, joining us this weekend as we caught him at Commodity Classic in San Antonio, Texas, a week where there continues to be more tumultuous news coming out about the coronavirus. And it's had a profound uh, impact, uh, bringing a lot of volatility to the markets. And uh, we're not over that yet, are we, Matt? No, we're not even close to being over that. It's, it's a frustrating situation. You know, here a couple of times, it's looked like these cases have leveled off just a little bit, and then you find 
find out that, oh, we're, we're actually counting our numbers a little bit differently than what we originally said. And then, you know, you find out that South Korea, you've got some uh, uh, problems there. Of course, Italy, the same thing. And now you're uh, the sur- people are surmising that you're going to get a major issue here in the U.S. And I, I sure hope that doesn't happen. But whenever you have something like this occur, containing it is next to impossible, as you know. And so uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, global panic about demand destruction. Uh, it's very frustrating until we really get a handle on it. I think that your mark's going to be very uneasy. We always try to look for some kind of an analogous situation. There really isn't one for this, is there? Not really. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, I've seen a couple of guys just kind of post uh, some of these different things that's happened, whether it's SARS, you name it. And, and unfortunately, what's happened is a lot of these uh, acted similarly up in here up until the last week or so. And then all of a sudden you're seeing this uh, this uh, situation with coronavirus uh, spike as far as how many infections we've seen. It, I mean, it, it's scary. I mean, I, there's no way really to uh, to explain it other than to say it's scary. And I think that as long as we don't have a whole lot of certainty about it, uh, it it's going to be a tough issue. Now, let's say that it ends up worse than what we thought it was, um, but then we finally get a handle on it. Once that day comes, things will change. Well, we uh, know the economy in China isn't growing uh, the way it was. Uh, certainly, they are slowing because of this. What's happening to ours domestically? Is it your sense that our economy, too, will slow? Well, it, it, our economy is going to slow if we have to deal with that. And our economy hasn't been... Uh, it depends on what what you want to look at. Obviously, unemployment's low. You know, there's uh, the stock market actually had done really well up until this week. And that's one thing I was concerned about is a lot of folks walking around San Antonio that's been beaten up pretty hard this week, whether you're talking about what's in your grain bin or what's in your 401k. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, I don't think that that's going to be something that's going to improve dramatically until we really feel confident that we're not going to have an issue here in the U.S. Because uh, that's the last thing the global economy needs at this stage of the game is for the U.S. to have the same type of issues uh, that China's had as far as coronavirus is concerned. I got to think that we would be in better shape to handle this situation than maybe what they were. Uh, but at the same time, I just don't know enough about it. You know, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. As we take a look at uh, interest rates. Uh, we're wondering what direction might be taken there. The Fed, I think, had planned on not doing anything, but they meet again 20 days from now. The Open Market Committee does, and who knows? Uh, they may be... Uh anticipating a, a reduction there. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That, that wouldn't be necessarily unfriendly to growers, would it, from the standpoint of the opportunity to, to manage that risk of their operations? Right. You know, I think that, uh, you know, whenever I was on the uh, stage this morning for the early riser session, I just said, you know, uh, given the fact that our inflation-adjusted debt is as high as it's been since the mid-80s, mid to early, early to mid-80s, uh, thank God for low interest rates. And I probably had as many head shaking on that as anything. And we all know that. Uh, you know, we can't afford for interest rates to go up much, but absolutely I would expect that the Fed, if they do anything, they're going to cut rates a little bit. I don't know that the farmer's going to feel it a whole lot with a quarter. You know, I mean, most of your local banks probably aren't even going to adjust anything, but the bottom line is at least they're not going up. The strength of the dollar has been problematic. Uh, that continues to be the case, doesn't it, Matt? Yeah, I mean, whenever you see the the relationship from the reality of the dollar continue to make all-time lows here lately, uh, that's a tough thing. I mean, you talked with the Brazilian growers at the Farm Futures Conference, and I mean, what we're dealing against I mean, our competitors, uh, if you will. And, yeah, we're all farmers, but those guys are making a heck of a lot higher profit margins than what we are. And a big reason for that is because there's such good global demand for their product because it's cheaper on the world market. It's been selling like hotcakes. And as you continue to watch what they're doing down there, it seems like their leadership in Brazil is getting their their act together. They're encouraging an investment of the country. Uh, They're going to just continue to grow and grow their grain production, are they not? 
Absolutely. And I think that that's where their uh, their country is kind of uh, trying to center uh, what their what their focus is on. You know, I mean, it reminds me of talks about land grant universities back in the day. That was their focus. You know, was 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 agriculture. A lot of those land grant universities. Well, Brazil looks to me like it's a it's kind of a land grant situation where farming. They know farming is what they've got. This kind of the trump card uh, for their country, and they're going to exploit that as much as possible as they should. As you look ahead toward your planting season that'll be coming up, hopefully not too many weeks down the road. That's a little bit of a moving target, to be sure. We have a lot of saturated soils over the Corn Belt. Your farm is probably one of those, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, every tile's running full. Uh, we had more rain again this week. Uh, we can't really stand a whole lot more rain. I mean, in fact, you know, there's been a lot of dirt move this year, unfortunately. Uh, you know, especially in areas where guys aren't using cover crops and things like that. But, uh, you know, right now, you've got to ask yourself, uh, is this going to be just like last year? What are we looking at? Uh, my personal opinion is you could have the exact same type of weather as last year, and you're not going to get the rally that you had last year with all the other things we've got going on. Uh, but as far as your uh, planning situations go, you know, I think that, um, you know, it's a little bit concerning. One thing that we've got going for us, we got more work done last fall than what we did last, uh, uh, the previous fall, fortunately. That's a really good thing. But I am concerned if we get in here and we start heating up with these overly saturated soils. I mean, I'm worried about, you know, guys having some nitrogen loss. I think most guys are using inhibitors, but still, uh, the propensity to lose some nitrogen is going to be there again. Speaking of uh, tempering rallies a little bit, you know, we still managed to get tremendous crops last year after all of the hand wringing that took place during the planting season. Is that emotion going to be gone from the market this year if, if we get the weather delays? Is the market going to sit there and say, wait a minute, we've seen this movie before? Or will there be indeed some emotional reaction in the prices? Well, I do think that you could get some sort of a reaction, but you've got to ask yourself from what levels are you going to be rallying from? So last year, your low uh, right before the market took off like gangbusters was uh, around 373. Uh, right now, we're banging on that door, you know, and we're not even close to uh, the time frame that we actually actually uh, had done that, which was right there in early April, whenever the market started to try to finally get a handle on just how bad this planting season might be. To me, given the demand situation that we're in, given the fact the USDA still has a 168 printed, uh, I mean, I've got to think that the trade's going to kind of ho-hum and yawn and say, you know what, we can maybe run this thing to four and a quarter or 430, but getting to 470, that would be a tough thing to do. Even if we got to four and a quarter, I think it'd be an absolute gift. And I think uh, us as producers need to be ready for that. And now, obviously, you, you you have to figure out what kind of production potential do you have. Uh, I don't want to get overly zealous there, but I at least want to manage some of that price risk because that can go away from you really quickly. Your farm is in Shelby County, Illinois. That puts you, what, about 180 miles south of Chicago, something like that? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, getting to Chicago for us, we can get to downtown in about three hours. My wife's driving two and a half, though. <laughs> <laughs> Out on the uh, super slab. Man, yeah. We may be seeing the uh, speed limits raised in Illinois. You never know. From the standpoint of farmer attitudes this winter, you've been in a lot of meetings. What's your of that, Matt. I would say the farmer is more concerned than what I've seen him in a long time. You know, I mean, typically we try to have some fun whenever I go out and present, especially whenever times are tough like this. you got to be able to poke some fun at yourself, but we also have to have some very tough conversations because you know, what I've been trying to tell producers is that just because uh, we don't want to talk about a situation doesn't mean it's not there. And I mean, it's, we have to be super cautious about what our ratios look like. Uh, you know, if we 
can do something on off-farm income, if we can share some equipment with a neighbor, if there's ways that we can cut costs without cutting yield potential, we need to be looking at those. I think we're all a little bit equipment heavy. Whenever I talk to those guys in Brazil, that's one thing that they kept telling me. Well, it seems like you guys got so much equipment up here, you know, for, for the acreage for your the farm. Acreage, for the acreage right. your farm. We, we have to be very con- conscious about those things because moving forward, to be competitive, I think we're going to have to be a little more efficient than what we've been. Good to visit with you, Matt. Thanks for taking the time. Matt Bennett at agmarket.net. We'll see you soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. It's 10 minutes before 6 o'clock here on the Saturday morning show. Temperature in the Midwest uh, in the low 20s and maybe a little cooler in other areas. But stand by for the heat wave that's coming in on Sunday when we'll see highs moving into the mid-50s, according to our weather forecasters. Secretary of Agriculture's Sonny Perdue took action this week that hopefully will benefit corn producers and ethanol producers and biodiesel producers. Secretary directed the U.S. Department of Agriculture to acquire alternative fuel vehicles when they are replacing conventionally fueled vehicles at USDA. USDA, incidentally, owns and operates one of the largest civilian fleets in the federal government. And this move to a fleet that can use E85 or biodiesel will increase efficiencies and performance. Additionally, as part of the October agreement to seek opportunities to facilitate the availability of higher biofuel blends across the country, USDA will make $100 million in grants available this year for the newly created Higher Blends Infrastructure Incentive Program. Through this program, transportation fueling and biodiesel distribution facilities will be able to apply for grants to help install, retrofit, and or upgrade fuel storage, dispenser pumps, related equipment, and infrastructure to be able to sell ethanol, and biodiesel. The department plans to publish application deadlines and other program information in the Federal Register this spring. Something else that I talk about this time of the year, as parents are suddenly finding out they are going to have sticker shock over the cost of a college education for their sons or daughters who are have graduated or are graduating from high school and thinking about a college education. Let me share this with you. I keep telling you this every year. There are a lot of scholarships available, but they won't come looking for you. You've got to go looking for them. That's why this story could be important to you if you're in this situation. Applications are now being accepted for college scholarships that are awarded by America's dairy farmers and importers through the National Dairy Promotion and Research Board. Eleven scholarships worth $2,500 each will be awarded, in addition to a $3,500 James H. Lopez Jr. or Loper Jr. Memorial Scholarship to one outstanding recipient. Funds in part from the Dairy Management Inc., which manages the National Dairy Checkoff Program. Scholarships are awarded based on academic achievement, an interest in a career in a dairy-related discipline, and demonstrated leadership, initiative, and integrity, 
Candidates must complete an application form, submit an official transcript of all college courses, and then write a short statement describing their career aspirations, dairy-related activities, and work experience. The National Dairy Promotion Board, and let me see what kind of a website uh, do we have. Okay, the NDBS scholarships at, I don't know why they make these these email addresses so long, but I find they get longer and more complicated all the time. But it's www.dairy.org slash about dash DMI scholarship program. Just get in touch with the National Dairy Promotion Board, and uh, I would guess if you Google them, you'll be able to get all the information you need. But uh, that's just one of many scholarships that are available to agricultural students in various segments of the agricultural industry. So keep an eye out for the scholarships that are available, and then go for it. The uh, Illinois Farm Bureau that had a series of three meetings this week dealing with the state planning also involved in another series of meetings, transportation meetings that will focus on trucking rules and regulations specifically for farmers, the IFB, Illinois Farm Bureau Rules for the Road Program, will provide information and updates on trucking and transportation issues in coordination with the enforcement agencies. Trucking regulations can be complicated. You know that. Farm exemptions can compound that confusion. That, according to Kirby Wagner, Assistant Director of Transportation and Infrastructure at the Illinois Farm Bureau. So that series of meetings is currently underway and will be underway for the next several days as we end February and move into March. Also this week, announcement by the National Pork Producers Council that registration is now open for the 2020 World Pork Expo presented by the National Pork Producers Council. Attendees, media, and exhibitors can complete their registration by visiting the World Pork Expo website. This year's trade show will be hosted from June 3 to 5 at the Iowa State Fairgrounds. According to David Herring, who is president of the National Pork Producers Association, a pork producer from Lillington, North Carolina, he said there's truly something for everyone at the expo, from the trade show to networking, Anyone in the pork industry encouraged to attend, and about 20,000 people, not only from the U.S., but from around the world, will be planning to attend World Pork Expo June 3, 4, and 5, and at Des Moines. So get your registration completed well in advance. Market-wise, as far as this week, uh, Chicago Mercantile Exchange Live Cattle Futures extended a steep sell-off yesterday. And the cattle prices, the April contract of live cattle down the $3 daily limit. 
The uh, June lean hog contract down a dollar twenty-seven cents a hundredweight, and the March feeder cattle contract ended the day down a dollar eighty-seven cents a hundredweight. And again, the word coronavirus is the word that dominated all the market activity from stocks to grains to livestock this week. And as far as grains are concerned, corn futures hit new contract lows yesterday. Wheat fell to a three and a half month low with a seventh daily drop in eight trading sessions as a spike in new coronavirus cases beyond China fueled fears of the pandemic and its growth. So at the end of the trading session yesterday, we found March wheat futures down just half a cent a bushel, 5.29. The March corn contract actually gained a couple of pennies, $3.66 and a half cents a bushel. And the March soybean contract ended down one and three quarters cents a bushel at $8.84.5 a bushel. That's how the markets ended yesterday, and that's pretty much where they'll start trading when we continue on Monday. Well, it's always a pleasure to have the opportunity to share your thoughts and my thoughts here on the Saturday Morning Show. So we do want to thank you, as always, for being part of our group get that gets together on Saturday morning between 5 and 6. My thanks, as always, to Bob Ferguson. Couldn't do this without his engineering prowess. And he does it very well as we come your way early on this Saturday. So thank you for joining us here on the Saturday Morning Show. Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.